Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-host, Miss Purrington. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham or on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. Please rate and review us on iTunes if you're listening to this episode. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, live shows, a live comedy events page featuring the best in Austin comedy in all its shapes and formats. And for the time being, we're also producing a show called Isolation Comedy, aimed at bringing live Austin comedy to audiences with a goal of raising money for comics in light of the closure of all of the paid stage work. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations and will usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. Today, I am singing... Uh, I'm... <laughs> Today, I am sitting across a Zoom meeting room with somebody who has forced me to start humming, dancing in front of the library nonstop. Uh, he's also the host of the Black and Tan podcast. He's uh, apparently a glutton for punishment. He's had two roast shows in his honor. Uh, he's performed on all of the shows in Austin, travels to San Antonio and Dallas and beyond to perform. He is a featured performer at Colt Town Theater and a member of the award-winning Sugar Water Purple. And you can go listen to Ryan Darborn's episode, uh, who's one of our alums as well. And you know he's got heart because in February he performed at Potty Gras 2020, an animal rescue benefit show. But one of the things that I remember most fondly about him is he yelled at me from across the street in December to say thank you for Comedy Wham taking on the live comedy events calendar. And I thought that was a really, really sweet moment. And now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Simply Courtney. Simply Courtney. Yeah, yeah. I love that. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Great that's, job, Travis. That's all we needed him for. <laughs> we had such a blast watching some of the videos that you have online, and we're like, oh, that's how I should introduce him. <laughs> I like it. That was cool, man. Hey, if I inspire anything, I was tough to, but when it's all said and done, if, if I've been able to inspire anything, that's great. You're you're so positive online, and you know being positive online has got to be challenging. We we actually had a mini uh, conversation because I asked how did you want to be introduced because I know on Facebook you have a different name, and you said that somebody kind of was hateful towards you. And I look at I've been following you for a couple of years now, maybe a year on Facebook, and you're just always so positive it's it's hard to imagine that you know it's annoying to think that people uh are rude about that i think what what happened is um more likely you know the the the, the upbeatness i try to i was like man i don't think i'm just always positive on there i think i'm upbeat mm-hmm. and i think what happened is somebody you know probably had their name or, you know, somebody had a goofy name, whatever. I don't know if they goofed or whatever their Facebook name was. And then they, maybe they got reported and they saw me and they're like, well, let me make sure he goes through what I'm going through. And it, it was one of those things that really bugged me because when he did it, it was like the week of my birthday. And as a comic, one of the things that I struggle with, and I still struggle with this now in year seven, is people um, misspelling my name, people sometimes putting the... Uh, like like they'll put an I instead of a Y, and I tell people the reason why my name is spelled the way it is simply S Y M P L Y is to tribute to my kids. I have two kids. Uh, they're both uh, commonly placed Y's in their name, uh, Simone S Y M O N N E, and then my son Titan T Y T A N. And so I tell people there are three Y's in my name because my two kids and then myself. Hmm. That's why I do what I do, and. So I, I try to get people to um, correctly spell the name and then also correctly uh, say the name. 
and so the struggle of going through that hold on real quick okay cool so i just want to make sure i didn't have no extra fees that long all right and so i, I that's my struggle and so i always like online i try to present like if somebody does a show i'll say hey can you uh spell my name with a y like i'll try to you know help them out with the spelling or i'll even like you know i'll send them the link to my comedy page and mm -hmm. It got really confusing with the whole, because uh, the way my name is right now on Facebook is Courtney S.Y. And that was the only thing they would allow me to put. And I was like, I'm trying to be clear because I don't want to have to explain to people all of this. But I say, you know what, if you're trying to be a professional with a comedian game, you have to be comfortable with explaining yourself to people ad nauseum. So every time I get on a show, I go and say, yeah, how's it going? Like, okay, if I'm introduced as, okay, if there's any, publications my name is written as and i felt uncomfortable about it at first but then i especially with um my birthday from february 8th or from january 6th until february 8th i did 34 shows and 34 nights and i actually did really closer to 40 but through a lot of those shows when i was setting them up i had to explain to people i was saying hey i'm trying to keep a uh, consistency here so can you spell my name this way and at first i had like before I even did that 34 shows thing, I used to get pushback. People would legitimately tell me, I don't like the way your name is spelled. What? Stupid. Yeah, <laughs> man. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. Wow. I think that my vibe makes people feel comfortable to give me a piece of their mind, which, you know, <laughs> gift and curse. But I, I would trip out because I'm like, dude, if I tell you to address me as, as a certain way, address me as a certain way, I don't see why it's a problem. And I, uh, real quick, because I'm afraid a little bit. Um, I, I once had somebody try to mention it to me. They said, well, it, it's going to keep you from getting booked because of the gimmicky name. And I remember my response has always been the same. I said, dude, if my name is what keeps you from booking me, then I probably don't need to do your show, your comedy club, et cetera. And I will say that to the day I die. Yeah. Um, if that's what it takes to keep you from booking me in my performance, it, it doesn't trump that, then I, I'm not good enough to perform at your venue. <laughs> point blank period you know so my name my name holds you up I'm like, dude we should be past the name Jeez. yeah right but right <laughs> that's, that's my cross bear though you know that's my cross bear <laughs> well simply uh we uh uh i guess but yeah i was just i was just about to say it is s-y-m-p-l-y but people who are looking at this episode they're gonna see the spelling so we don't we don't have to uh you know shout it out people just accept simply for who he is okay that's that's hey, my my recording <laughs> uh i have an official icebreaker question and so simply tell us one word to describe your past fun fun cool uh, where did you grow up all right, you ready for this? Drum roll. Right here in the great city of... Oh, oh, you got the roll. Wait. No, no, no. Go back. Okay. The 512 in Austin, Texas. I am a native born Austinite. Great drum roll, by the way. This is so crazy because I think I'm on a roll of like three out of four or five of my last comics that I've talked to were natives, mm -hmm. which is really weird because for the first three and a half years of this podcast, I can only think of one or maybe two native Austinites. <laughs> so Was Luke McClory, one of them, the Luke McClory McClory was exactly who I was thinking of. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, so tell me about an early comedic memory that you have. This is me personally on stage, off stage. What exactly were you going Just growing up, something from your childhood, something that when you think of your childhood, you think, ah, this this brought me joy and laughter. Or you brought yeah, joy okay. and laughter. Okay, well, I, I guess uh, my first idea of comedy obviously came from... Um, watching the late night television, I'm a, a kid of the 90s. And so I watched a lot of the late night television circuit, TV circuit, you know, they had Faye Leno, David Letterman, et cetera. And 
I remember thinking like, yo, that's humorous, that's funny, but I remember the first time I saw what I consider comedy, or something that was entertaining and it captivated me was um, Don Leguizamo's uh, Freak. There's oh. his, his one man performance, it was a stage production where he went up and he takes us through his, his childhood and all of that, and he's on stage by himself the whole time, um, and it was just something about what he did compared to what I used to see on late night. I, I, I use this example and I keep coming back to it. People ask inspiration for a comedy. For me, is when I would watch the late night television show, they would just sit at the their 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 desk and and be humorous. But when I saw John Leguizamo dancing around and changing his posture and changing his face and his voice, and then the light would kind of flicker in a certain way. There'd be music one moment, next he's doing stuff that's gut wrenching. You know, that was entertaining. That was funny. There was um, emotion there. It was it was it was captivated. And I know when I saw that, I was like, "Wow, that was it." That's literally all I had was "Wow" when I saw <laughs> that, and it inspired me moving forward. And so now, when people ask, you know, my top um, comedians, I still list John Leguizamo, and I guess maybe just listing off him, um, off of what he did on 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 free. That's like just something that still I hold hold up there. Like that's on top of my Mount Rushmore of comedy specials, et cetera, you know? Yeah. And yeah, that that's definitely an early uh, view of comedy for me. Definitely. And did you uh, think about performing comedy from that or did it take you some time before you thought, oh, I'd like to do this? Hmm, no, it took me long <laughs> it took me a while i was in i was an undergrad let's see i was an undergrad at texas state and i'll never forget having the urge and i this stuff, memory right here gets fuzzy for me because i can't remember if it was the tick or the egg in this case because there was a um moment i worked uh parks and rec and i was designing uh activities for my camp and one of the activities I made up, there was this group of, I think it was 6 to 12-year-olds, 7 to 12-year-olds, I never remember all age group. And they used to tell these crazy stories, these jokes, and all these little things um, on the van ride. And so I remember telling my camp leaders, you know, I was the uh, director of the camp, and then I had my camp leaders, and they were trying to figure out activities to do. And I remember telling them, hey, maybe we should come up with, um, like, a, like, maybe give them a joke-telling time or a storytelling time make it an actual activity, you know, try to create an activity that these kids, you know, towards their interest. And so I'm thinking, okay, if I set the room up, and I put a little fake microphone out there, <laughs> these kids will go up and they will do what they've been doing in this van this whole time. And so I, I set it up, or I wrote on the calendar, and I was like, all right, we're going to do it. Set the room up and everything. And the kids wouldn't go up. <laughs> I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I have just set this whole room up, I spray painted this tennis ball and stuck it to this toilet paper roll and make a microphone. I put a little, I think it was a broom handle or whatever it is on there so you guys can stand up and do whatever with this mic. And you kids won't get up. And so I remember, you know, uh, through my training, just years of experience, if you want kids to do something, you have to show them. You have to demonstrate and take an actual interest in it. And so I just got up and started just riffing and randomly just making jokes about different things in the room and I'll never forget one of my favorite things I had a, a, a nurse football and I just asked the kids I say how do you play fetch with a dog with no legs and I dropped the nurse football and I said it doesn't matter it's not going to go anywhere it was <laughs> it, laughing and it was so funny because that opened them that made them get up because next time they wanted to get up and start telling themselves and I was able to back away and that became the way that we started that event and what was so funny about it is Whenever we start that event, we did like probably twice a week or so, I would go up and I was icebreaker. And so I'd go up and I'd get them started. And it just kind of came part of my routine to where I would leave my office and go up there and start that activity. And I remember I had a staff member in there, staff member when they was watching. Hey, you, you're kind of funny. You may need to try uh, open mic comedy. And at this point, I had never heard of a such thing. I'm like, open mic comedy, what's that? <laughs> He's like, look it up. And so I, I go and look it up. And I found out Austin had, you know, kind of a growing um, comedy scene here. 
And so I remember I made like little note stations. I even bookmarked all of the open mics in town. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm going to go do this. And I had like three different tabs and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And so it was, that story happened. And then there was another one where I had this urge in um, undergrad. Yeah, this is back to undergrad. I had this urge where I wanted to get up in front of my big like stadium 200 plus people class and tell jokes. Like there was always this gap where my professor didn't come in. I got a late like 6, 6, uh, 6 p.m. class on Tuesdays where we would all be sitting in there waiting for the professor to walk in. And I was just always like, man, I, I want to go down there and I, I want to tell some jokes and see if I can get these people to laugh before this class starts. It was a long, uh, I think it was like a long hour and a half class or so. Um, and so I always had that urge. I never did it, but I just, I, was, I didn't even know what I was saying. Like, what, what would I do? <laughs> what am I going to say? And so I just, I remember those two feelings are very, very early on. Yeah. As far as me um, looking at the idea of trying stand up, and it wasn't for probably another year. It was like almost two years that that list of open mics in Austin set on my PC before I actually worked the courage up and the nerve to go and actually do an open mic. Wait, wait, wait! Why were you why were you nervous or or afraid to do it? Because it's uh, scary. <laughs> <laughs> But you had this vision of doing something in front of 200 people. You know what? It's so weird. I, I to this day don't know where that came from. I feel like, because I know, and it was funny, we brought up Luke McClory. I remember my um, my ex-wife. My ex-wife was another person that kind of uh, put the idea in my head. And we went to Velveeta Room. Believe it or not, we went to Velveeta Room in the first comic we ever saw live on like a local level was Luke McClory. Oh and my so gosh. We there, we watched. Yeah. We walked, we walked in there and we watched. And I don't know if we were having conversations then, but I know definitely probably after, after she was like, Hey, you should try that. And I was like, maybe what if we're good at it? I don't know. And so I, just, I never had the courage to do it. And it wasn't until I, you know, had extra time on my hands, got divorced, and then it just became a thing that I did. And, and I, I don't know, I, I, I wanted to do it. It was something that I did want to do it. I didn't know how. And so I think they say sometimes the hardest thing to do is getting started. Yeah. And that is very, very true when it came to stand-up comedy for me. Getting started. I, I had so much, like, I had the times, I had the locations, I had how, but it was a matter of, um, or I guess in this case, to be where. And I was like, well, how do I do this? And so I slowly worked up the courage and got up there. And that's where I'm at, Cold Town Theater. That was my, um, that's my uh, home club. That's the very first, first stage I ever got on back in uh, November of 2012. November of 2012. So I am seven years old, or I guess soon to be eight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so sorry, the, the audio clipped a little bit. November of 2000, which year? 2012. 2012. Okay. So this was Maggie May era? Mm-hmm. This is Maggie May era. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the coolest things about her, I'm just, I like, I, I, this is one of my favorite, I have so many favorite Maggie May things. <laughs> one of my things that I respect her most for is the fact that no matter what she did, very rarely did I see her miss a Monday open mic? Mm. Um, and this is in a day and age now where comics, I don't know why I see comics take on these open mics only to constantly pass them on to people and people and people. And I'm like, that's a commitment. And so she was there every Monday and I always call it the Maggie Oki hour. I still love watching her at the end of the Monday night stick uh, uh-huh. or whatever doing Maggie Oki. And so it just, I always respected that. I was like, dude, no matter what she has going on, she's somehow attached, you know, to this damn this, this mm-hmm. theater. And so I tried to govern myself. I don't say cry. I don't want to say cry like that if I gave up. But I try to govern myself by the same accord. So your your first open mic, how did you approach it? You know, you finally are going to do it. You're, mm-hmm. uh, you've been maybe studying shows or other comics how did you approach that first time did you write stuff did you just go off the cuff 
All right. What'd you do? I had a general idea, but you know what I did? What? My first open mic experience, I showed up at the wrong date. Oh, so no. I showed up on a Friday. I worked up all this nerve. I was nervous. Oh. I was scary. I had tabs on my computer called, oh, my God, we're really going to do this. Yes, we're going to do this. <laughs> I'm terrified. I show up to Cold Town Theater on a Friday night. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I walk in. I'm like, I'm here to perform. I'm here for the open mic. And you're like, oh, this is a book show. That's when I learned what a book show was. Uh-huh. You have to come back on Monday. So oh. I freaking go through all of that. I finally get there. And I knew I knew I was going to do it because when I went there on Friday and they told me no, I was like, well, I'm going to wait these next two days. And then I'm there Monday. And uh-huh. I went there Monday and I was just going to tell a story. I said, I'm going to tell this story. Um, about my first car wreck. I thought it was the funniest story ever of the idea of me having a car wreck. And the only joke in the whole thing was the fact that I, um, instead of calling the cops, I called my best friend and told him, guess who had a car wreck? <laughs> so I, to this day, think it was a long story, a long walk for no payoff at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's okay for a first time up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I teach defensive driving now, which is funny. I teach comedy defensive driving now. And <laughs> it's, I, I've started slowly chipping away at where the funny is in it. Cause I told myself as a, um, as a worker bee, I call myself a worker bee when it comes to comedy, that I want to go through my old books. I keep all of my old joke books. And I want to figure out a way to punch up and make funny every idea I've ever had huh. or somehow use pieces of that for another joke. And so excuse me. So part of um what I've been doing with that joke is figuring out where I can take the audience with that, you know, and, and try to stay in the realm of the truth, but at the same time, you know, have liberty or take liberty with embellishments here and there, you know. So it's my first joke, but I know one day I will have that joke and that story melt down. Yeah. And I'll be able to say, y'all ready to hear my first joke ever? (laughs) (laughs) So how did you feel getting off the stage that first time? Did you say, this is it? This is absolutely it? Exhilarating. It was was amazing. Um, Feeling second to none. Now, I I do have to preface it with the fact that at this point, I wasn't divorced, but I was separated, and I was going through a very rough time. And so when I did it, when I went into the comedy world, there was this fearlessness that I, I think I've been there again, but I just, I, I wasn't scared of anything. But at that point I was going to court, I was getting bad news. I was dealing with all of these stressful things. And then I went up and told jokes. And although let's say I was nervous, I wasn't nervous the same way that most comics are. Mm-hmm. At that point I was already, I was already comfortable being on stage just because my background, I was a pageant kid growing up. And so I was always in front of a crowd of people. I had to do speeches, had to do plays, sung in a choir in church, all of that. So I was used to being in front of people. Even at work, I had to present, I had to teach, I had to train. So telling jokes, I was nervous about, okay, I want these jokes to work. I want this part to be funny. But as far as um, when I got off, I was like, yo, that was fun. Let's do this again. I think I left from let's see i always swear that that was that monday night and i i feel like i did another open mic there but that could have been monday i did nothing on tuesday and wednesday i remember i was at kick butt and then i went from kick butt over to mr friend and that became my life that was my life every monday was uh cold town tuesdays was the tuesday night improv jam at cold town down as well and then Wednesday was kick butt kick butt kick butt and Mr. Trent and that was pretty much the um I I swallowed for a long long time at at what point did you introduce the improv element to it almost immediately so here's the weird thing a lot of people know me in the improv community because I've been around for a while like I've almost been around improv as long as I have stand-up um I didn't formally take classes. All I did is I just hung around and I asked questions and I just watched shows. And then I went to the gym and that's where I did. Like that was part of my regimen. 
was to do open mic as far as I called it, open mic stand up and open mic improv, which is what the jams essentially are. Okay. And so I did that off and on for a long, long time. And so that's why I know a good amount of people in the improv community only because we would cross paths during a jam and I was mm-hmm. always there. Um, but yeah, I, I just probably the first, maybe give me a, a two weeks in to stand up, I started going to the improv jams as well. And I was like, dude, this is dope. This is fun. Okay, I like this. <laughs> Well, if you're having a, a stressful time in your, you know, your your other life, then yeah, it's it's a great escape. But I I know for me, comedy was my therapy after my divorce, so I get it. <laughs> a lot of us, I think, there's so many people that are brought to this through tragedy, and it's it's so funny because every once in a while I forget how long how long I've been divorced, and the way that I can figure out how long I've been divorced, I'm like, well, I've been divorced a year uh, less. Then I've been doing comedy. So I've been divorced for seven years. Uh, I've been separated and doing comedy for eight. And so I remember the separation took me a year <laughs> going through court, and then I was finally divorced. And so I'm like, oh, okay, so how long have we been doing comedy? Eight years. Okay. I, I was already around. I ran up eight. Seven yeah. eight. Um, and then I go from there, and I'm like, okay, that's how long I've been divorced. Like, I've literally put being divorced so far out of my mind that comedy is literally the only thing that I kind of keep track with. I think my kids' birthdays and comedy are the only dates that I really keep track of. <laughs> I have to ask myself how old I am. I'm like, four. Well, how long have I been doing comedy? Okay, how old is my daughter? How old is my daughter? <laughs> what year is it again? Is it 2020? Okay, I got it. I got it. <laughs> um. How, how, uh, give us some insight. Cause I, I know from try, talking to Ryan Darborn, which I think was, well, it was at least two years since I, I talked to him. I know sugar water purple is like a big deal, uh, as far as improv, uh, groups is how did, were you there at the, from the ground floor or was that something that you had to audition and perform for that troupe? Hmm. Okay. That's a good question. Let's see. So, Short answer, no, I was not there at the beginning, but yes, I actually was. I wasn't a part of the group for a while, uh-huh. but I remember my friends, when they got into it, uh, one of my friends is no longer with the group now, um, he told me about the initial idea. Like, he got into improv, and I always try to remember how this story works. Did I get him into the jams? Because one of the things people would ask me is, well, what do you do on this day and that and that? I tell my resident, and I say, okay, on Tuesdays, I go to the uh, improv jam. And so I remember I brought him there, and he ended up taking to it. And I'm talking about he took class after class, joined groups, and started doing all these other things and, and different uh, courses. And I stuck with doing the jam and doing stand-up. And I remember when they made the group, uh, as far as Sugar Water Purple, the concept, I remember hearing about it. I was like, that's kind of cool. And then I still stayed and stand up, but every so often I'd come by and watch. And so I watched Sugar Water Purple probably for about two years before I was even asked to, you know, um, sit in. And I was always, uh, people assumed I was part of the group because I was always there. <laughs> obviously, because we're all Negro. <laughs> so people were like, oh, man, y'all are good. I was like, hell yeah, we are. And then one, day I, one day I sat in with them and it kind of, kind of became just a reoccurring theme. Where I would come sit in, like if there was a festival run or whatever it was, and I would just kind of, you know, sit in. And before I knew it, I became a member of the group. Um, and it, it's, it's it's weird because I feel like my life has always kind of been, that's how it's worked. I've always went up and uh, had a dry run, as I'll call it, with stuff. And then before I know it, I guess, you know what, this is a metaphor. I always dated, always dated with, whatever it was that I eventually married. Uh-huh. And so like my job, for instance, I would just, I was always around when I worked park and rec. I was that person that was always there and somebody needed help. Then before you know it, I ended up helping out and I got hired on and uh, um, comedy was the same thing. Improv was the same thing. Uh, even a podcast, um, uh, you call it black, uh, black and fan. Mm-hmm. I was always kind of there as a uh, guest. And those are my homies. I shout out to Aaron Tatum and Jacob James Garcia. 
um, those are the two guys that actually, those are the founders of Black and Dan podcast, by the way. Um, I was always a guest. They would say, yeah, you're just a guest on the podcast. And I was always there, though. And I was always there. Before you know it, they are like, all right, you're on the podcast. And I was like, cool. You know, so that's, I think that's how my life works. Uh, yeah. I hang around long enough, I'll become, uh, I'll become family at some point. <laughs> Well, it's a good way to study your way into knowing what to do and and uh, fitting in. That's um, how improv worked. Improv worked with me just watching. I was always there. And I have no problem with asking questions about things. And that's my, uh, my inquisitive nature. Um, helps me out a lot of times because I'm always asking questions. And then I, I try to tell people I talk a lot. Like I talk a lot, but I have to listen even more and I talk. And so for everything that I talk about or ask about, I'm trying to listen to double that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, your style from the, the handful of videos that I saw is very interactive with the audience. It's very clear to me, you know how to hold command of an audience. Your uh, the The reason that I specifically brought up the uh, the benefits show that you did in Fe- February, the the party gras, mm-hmm. was uh, you seem very comfortable with the role of host and an MC uh, for a gathering of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, clearly something that you that you brought from childhood. Are you not hearing me? No, I'm trying to see. Are my do my eyes look closed? Because I have this thing where my eyes never look open. <laughs> No, I'm, sorry, I'm, I, I'm listening. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I hope um, you don't think I'm asleep. I'm like, it no. looks like I'm asleep on the camera. No, I, no, I my eyes are open. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, is that something that you you brought into comedy from the get go? Because the videos that I saw were are more recent, where I see you, you know, leading the chant of simply Courtney, simply Courtney. Uh, and then the the interaction of of the random words and the beatboxing, you know, you're you're playing with the audience. Is that something that you've done from the beginning, or is that just a more recent evolution? It was something that I came in with. Uh, I came in with that. Uh, it got beat out of me for a little while. I, I will be <laughs> honest. Um, I, talking with veteran comics and all that, there was stuff that they were like, don't do this, don't do a lot of that. And uh, I didn't Don't do, do something like, different. Yeah, don't mess with the audience, don't ask questions, don't beatbox, don't rap, don't dance, don't get too loud, don't talk fast, <laughs> don't curl off. These are all these things that I do now. And it's not saying that I'm a master by any means of it, but it's how I am, um, how I am wired. Uh, it's in the fabric that you know is me, and I died away from it for a little while. I think there was probably a good three-year span where I was on stage and I was trying to be, you know, some of my brethren who are very, you know, uh, I don't want to call them one-dimensional because that sounds like an insult. But uh, all right, what do I want to do here? Uh, whatever phrases, I'll, I'll come to it. But I was trying to be something I wasn't, and mm-hmm. that's not who I am. Who I am is somebody that is going to interact with the audience, is going to uh, uh, be goofy and live by the seat of my pants one stage with a mic in my hand. And so I got away from trying to fit in, and I started becoming comfortable with being who I am. Um, that took a while. I mean, I've been doing this comedy thing for seven, it'll be eight in November. Um, first two years, I was probably up there just doing what I wanted, you know, and then year three, that stuff started getting kind of taken from me, and it wasn't taken from me, those people giving me advice, I was listening. Year three, year four, year five was me kind of um, trying to figure out a way to fit in, and then something happened about year six or so, where I was just like, yo, I have to go back to figuring out how to have fun. And in a year uh, seven, something between year six and seven, I figured out how to have fun being me, but at the same time being able to flex that, yes, I can write. Yes, if I need to slow down and, you know, do it this way, I can, but it's going to be within 
the realm of who I am a performer. It's not going to be, oh, Simply Courtney's doing an impression of another comic. No, that's Simply Courtney performing, you know? Okay, humor me as I try to lay out uh, a, this question. All right, so for, for a three-year period, you had a series of people who were telling you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, be more like this, be more like this. And so for that period of time, you kind of humored them. Um, and you kind of answered one question that I was already thinking about. What did you learn from that experience? And what you learned was, you know, some focus on writing, figuring out how to blend the who simply is with some of the things that they were telling you to, to do. Um, do you, do you think, do you think they were asking you to do things this way as opposed to the simply way because they wanted you to learn to navigate some of these skills with who you are? Or do you think it's kind of a Austin comedy culture thing that says, well, you, you have to do things a particular way in order to be successful in this comedy scene? I feel like both. I feel like both. Uh, early on, I was I was rebellious, and I, I would see people doing things a certain way, and I wanted to be different. And even now, if you would have asked me this question, let's say, a year ago, I'd have been like, no, nah, they were trying to, they were scared. And the stuff that I was doing was stuff that they were scared of. That's why they didn't want me to do it. Now I'm looking at, no, they were coming. I feel like 90% of the people that I was talking to at the time were coming from a good place and they mm -hmm. were trying to help me. And they actually did. Um, having to slow down and not be totally just, you know, wild man up there, it, it helped me out in the long run because it made me kind of figure out who I am. And it made me figure out a way to show the audience. The harder part is to show the audience who I am. And um, one of my favorite comics, uh, and I know everybody says this, but I always use Jay White Cotton as the example. <laughs> and I'll even throw an Aaron Stevens looking for both for me to serve the same purpose. Uh, they use a phrase, you know, it's the economy of work, right? Mm -hmm. And I talk a lot. You know, I have the gift from Gab. That's what I do. That's my superpower is off you under a butt, you know, <laughs> and then alligator. <laughs> and so learning how to say a lot with less, that was one of the biggest strengths that I gained from that three-year period. Um, being able to act out or being able to go up and say something that is almost it's a whole line, yet all I said maybe were two words, and then I just, eh, you know, simple stuff like that. And, and, and that period, I am so grateful for that three-year period because it shaped me in ways that I'm still figuring out today. Mm -hmm. Like I am literally scratching the surface of um, all that wisdom that was bestowed on me to say it that way. <laughs> Yeah, and part of the reason that I ask that is, you know, if we've got comics that are listening and they may might be feeling feeling like people are giving them advice, air quotes, and they're feeling like, well, they just they don't want me to be who I am. I mean, you're a very likable guy. I mean, you're just very approachable, uh, very friendly. So I don't imagine anybody was giving you this advice because they were trying to, you know, tear you down. They you know, it came from a good place. Hopefully most of them, it came from a good place. And so it really was a, a matter of sometimes you have to suffer through those three years yeah. of trying to do other things because it teaches you to be stronger as yourself when you come out of it, because you've learned a few other skills that make you stronger. Absolutely. So that, that can be really intimidating, I think, for people that aren't as confident in who they are. Mm -hmm. Coming in as an older dude, that was one of the biggest things. And mm -hmm. I agree, by the way. Um, coming in as an older, I was, you got to think, when I started comedy, I was 20, God, I was 26, 27. Uh, had two kids, uh, had been married, worked full-time, married to graduate college. I had all these things going for me. And I uh, was a middle manager 
manager. And so you coming up and talking to me and telling me how to do anything, <laughs> I'm like, what? what? You're a delivery man. Shut up. You know, you're doing, a, you're doing the same poopy open mic that I'm doing. If you don't come to me, I'll holler at you. Then I'll listen. Yeah, but I had to check a lot of that because I have to understand, regardless of, um, I don't know, I think now where I'm at, I'll just quote where I'm at now. If anybody gives you the time of day to come up to you and talk, sometimes even if it's negative, just be happy that they're even taking the time off to, to respond to you. Like I look at, uh, I use Facebook kind of as an example. I think Facebook is a really cool case study that when people see your post, they have three options. They can see it and just move on and not do anything about it, or they can go in and they can like just do a quick little, I think it's five. We have five reactions, right? Um, uh -huh. Excuse me. Thumbs up, heart, laugh, angry, sad, right? So they can do one of those five reactions to it, or they can go in and they can leave a comment. They can do one of those three things. Anybody that takes time to do one of those last two in real life, uh -huh. I'm appreciative of it. As much as, you know, sometimes we don't want to hear the criticism. Sometimes we don't want to hear the negativity. Anybody that takes the, takes a little bit of time to talk to you, I'm somewhat appreciative. Now, am I taking everything to heart? I'm getting better at not doing that. Before, everything you said it sounded negative. I was like, get the hell out of here. You know, I don't want to feel it. my ass. You know, but now, now I'm in a spot where I feel like, you know what? That information that they're giving me may not register, may not make sense right now. But maybe somewhere down the line, I'll be able to look back and go, "Whoa, I see what they were what they were coming coming where they were coming from with that." So, mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it, it's a place of uh, who you are. I feel like um, I've been blessed to be around a lot of talented people being in this Austin comedy scene. And as much as I sometimes bemoan, you know, the circuit, I look at it called the circuit, the revolving door of you know the same styles of comics being presented week in and week out. I appreciate being able to have um, an eye on what is passing as, excuse my words, why is it here? As good on stage, as we'll call it. Mm -hmm. And so because I can watch, and then I also can talk to people about it, I appreciate it. it it's, a, it's a weird give and take. Um, you see a lot of the same stuff, you're like, ooh. Wow, that's what they, they're laughing at that? Okay, but then also you see something you go, holy shit, that was funny. I'm glad I was here to see that. And as people that will tell you to your face sometimes, holy shit, what you said, this one joke you said, that was funny. And so I feel like if I were to close myself off and never give anybody a chance to say anything good or bad, I'd miss out on those, holy shit, that thing you said was funny moments. Yeah. I, I feel like for younger comics, man, Take it. Uh, listen to everybody if you can. Now, don't listen to me and everything everybody says and try to make that your mantra because they'll go crazy. Trust me, I've done that. But try to listen. Um, I guess using what I said earlier, try to listen more than you talk. And I mean, as, as, a, as a motherfucker who talks a lot, I was I don't know who the cuss, but I have to keep it real. One thousand listen. As a motherfucker who talks a lot, I need to understand. I listen. Way more. I've served way more than you guys will ever know. Anybody <laughs> think to this podcast, if you take anything away from uh, Simply Cordial, podcast or interview? What, what, what is this? Uh, I, it's, I mean, it's, no, I, we write an article about you that goes with the podcast, so it's both. And they will hear this too. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is, this is the part where I speak directly to the listeners there. Ding, <laughs> ding. If you ever need to know anything or ever want to know anything about Simply Courtney, just know I see everything. Okay, I don't want to say I see some things, I see most things, I see everything. Now, do I react to everything? No. <laughs> do I do I comment on everything? No. <laughs> I have a very keen awareness of most things going on when it comes to this comedy scene, especially here in Austin. Um, so I tell people I try to observe. I try to make myself um, aware of things that I feel don't concern me. I spit on my phone, wipe it off. <laughs> I try to just be 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 a steward of this scene. Yeah, I love comedy so much. I try my best to um, never have a moment where I, I go, I don't know. So, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was, I was uh, really flattered when you, you called out at me in December after Comedy Wham took over the, the events calendar. And I'm like, oh my God, Simply Knows Who I Am? <laughs> oh, I knew who you were. I, I knew who you were a long time ago. Cause I remember when I saw your interviews, uh, not your interviews, but your, yeah, interviews. And I was like, okay. Oh, okay. And I'm, I don't remember who exactly it was, but I did see your interview and it was an article. And it could have been Chris Castle or somebody. But I remember going, hey, I think I'm a comic. I would love to do an interview there. And then I looked at that and I said, well, you know what? I'll keep performing. Um, I used to try to go out and seek out people and say, hey, I'm interested in this and that. And I still will do that for so time time. But when it comes to things that are, I call it just uh, beyond the scope of a show, I just wait my time. I say, you know what? I'll mention it. I'll say hello. But I'm not going to uh, put a time on. I'm not going to put a clock on. This uh, opportunity came up. I was like, heck yeah! But at the same time, I wasn't on no "it's about time" type stuff. I was like, yeah. no, I'm, I'm I'm getting to do an interview with Valerie. Um, this is kind of cool. I'm excited. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, you you did this 34 days challenge before your birthday. Is that something that you typically do where you challenge yourself to do something different? What do you mean exactly? Let me make sure I get the question right. Um, so before, um, well, before your birthday, you did this 34 shows and 34 days challenge, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not something that everybody does when it comes to comedy. So is that something that you've always done where you try to challenge yourself to do something like that? Or is this, you just came up with that idea and thought it would be fun? No, that was just a random idea that um, popped in my head. I, uh, have I done things for my birthday every year? I haven't done things for my birthday every year. For the last two years, I've done the roast, which uh -huh. was really cool. Um, shout out to Coltown Theater for letting me do my roast there uh, this year. Um, how did the 34 thing? I can never remember exactly how it started. I feel like it was just some weird idea I got. And I was thinking, okay, I turned 34 soon. This is also the youngest, let, uh, yet the oldest in, as far as when I'm looking at numbers. And I was like, man, when I'm 35, that's a lot of damn shows. 35 shows and 35, 35 nights. I don't know if I'll be able to do that. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to think about 40. I hope it's 40, but I don't want to think about trying to do 40 shows and 40 nights. I was like, yeah. 34? I think that's attainable. So I started doing the numbers and I started looking around. And I looked at all the shows and all the people I knew that ran shows. And I kind of started putting constraints on there. And I was like, all right, we're going to do this. Or we're going to try to do this, but we cannot have any repeating shows. And so I told myself, Oof. that means like I do a Wednesday show every Wednesday. And I said, it has to be book shows because um, I want it to mean something, not take anything away from my open mics or my reoccurring shows. But the concept of me going out and personally uh, asking for each spot that I'm given, it, it's that's who I am. And I was like, dude, are you scared to get rejected? Yeah, well, <laughs> get over it. Because if you want to be a professional comic, if you want to make this your bread and butter, you're going to have to get used to getting rejected a lot. And so 34 shows and 34 nights was um, probably a two-month process of planning. I went through and I sat down with a calendar, and I just wrote out every single show from Austin to Houston to Dallas to San Antonio, um, and I just looked and I just kind of plotted out days. I figured out who, you know, who, who ran them, who hosted, who booked it, um, when it happened as far as frequency. And then I slowly went from there and then I made a chart based off, excuse me, off of Sunday through Saturday of what I could do. And then I plotted out and then I made a backup for, okay, if this one turns me down, then I'll have this one in its place. If these end on the same day, what times does this one happen at? Like, there are some days I had four shows in one night. Wow. And I remember the logistics behind it. Um, it. It was part of me having to put on my big boy pants and understand that, hey, you have to be forthcoming with people. If you get booked on multiple shows in a day in the same city, you have to be open.
put up second or third, or, hey, I'm headlining this show, but it's going to be after these shows. There was little things like that. And so it made me really look at planning. And I had never done a lot of that for that. So there were so many little lessons that I learned doing 34 and 34. And so I really don't think I've ever done anything close to that. I've done it just by accident, like not 30 shows in 30, 30 days, but I've probably done maybe a string of 12 straight shows in 12 days or something like that. Mm-hmm. That was obviously because I had like three shows in one day and things were just clicking. Yeah. But yeah, 34 and 34, I think I counted, there was a, there was probably like, I think it was a, I think it was either a 16 or a 17 where it was a show for every day. And I felt it. <laughs> <laughs> How happy were you at day 35? <laughs> it's weird because I, God, man, I had so much going on during that. I don't know if you got to see, like, there were, I, I was kind of chronicalizing everything that was going on. So I wanted to make sure that if I saw something, I had said it so I could look back on it. In a hindsight, I guess in a retrospect, I'm glad I did because right now with this whole shutdown thing, mm-hmm. riding off of that has been uh, amazing because I've been able to look back and go, man, it sucks to not be performing right now, but look what I did, you know, look at that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember, 34, 35, how did I feel on 35? I, my car, I, I totaled my car New Year's Eve. Oh, no. Yeah, I totaled my car New Year's Eve. And so I was fighting to do these shows, but at the same time fighting to go through the process of insurance and all of that. And so I was distracted. So by the time I got on stage, performing was the easiest thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. And everything I did, it almost, um, it almost was uh, echoes of a, uh, going through my divorce. I think I, I see a lot of similarities and parallels there that when I was going through what I was going through, I was going to court in the morning and going to work in the afternoon, midday. And then when I got done, I would go and tell jokes. That was my chance to kind of release and kind of uh, escape from what was going on in the day to day. And so mm-hmm. when I dealt with the whole car thing, performing was the easy part. And so, yeah, I had times where I was tired, but I was just happy to be on stage performing and upholding, you know, what I said I was going to do. That was my biggest fear was, damn, my car is going. All right, I got to get a rental car. I got to get a rental car. I got to borrow a friend's car. I got to borrow a friend's car. Got to, got to Uber. Got to Uber. You know, I was doing all <laughs> things, man. And it, it was amazing. It was amazing. But by the time I got 35, let's see, because my – so our fiscal count was – I think it was 41 shows. I technically did 41 and 34. Wow. Just there were some shows that I didn't publicize because of, um, I don't know what, why. There were some things that popped in and popped out. But I actually did 41 shows in 34 days. Um, the last few was just me gutting it out. I had uh, my roast was actually the last day, the last official day. And that was one of the most amazing, exhilarating experiences ever because I had friends that came out the woodworks and I was thinking, I don't know if this thing is going to happen. And then before you know it, more and more people came. For no, I mean, for me, we packed up all these people and I was like, look at this. People are here for me. Oh people God. like you simply. They like you. I'll never forget um, when it was over with, there it is. When it was over with, I was preparing to do other shows. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it. I legitimately did not get a chance to. I made my post and I wrote, and it took me a full day to write out how I felt. But I was preparing for other shows hmm. because um, my February was busy as crazy. Like not even like like not even just off of the thirty four shows and thirty four nights. But then after that, the back half of the February was crazy in itself. And so I never really had a real chance to sit there and look at it, but I did a good enough job of talking about every show as it was coming up and then recapping afterwards. And so it was one of the things that it'll probably take me a long time to really sit back and look at that. Will I do it again? I don't know, Valerie. <laughs> 35, and, 35 sounds scary right now. <laughs> well, 
we are living in very unique times right now, and hopefully it's not a long time that I get to ask my guests this, but what are you doing in this time of shelter in space, in shelter in place, shelter in space, or a shelter in space? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. No, shelter in place. Apparently what I'm doing is I I have went out and done a little bit of the Uber Eats because I'm a, a delivery driver. And so I've done a few of the Uber Eats and then I've stayed at home. Um, I'm not that big of a fan of everything that's going on because it's downright scary. And going out is terrifying. If you go and you're like, oh, my God, I touched that surface. Let me wash my hands. Did I wash good enough? Man, why is my <laughs> lip right now? It's just so many things. And so I, I've kind of limited going out. Um, every so often I will go out to go get things. But nothing. And are you doing anything for your, with respect to your comedy during this time? Are you writing? Are you taking a break? Are you? Right. I'm writing. Uh, I did a show last night. Uh, mm-hmm. Shout out to Money in the Bank Productions, uh, Brandon Lewin and Carter Anderson. Uh, did a show last night. Um, I think I'm doing, uh, I, I may be doing another show. Yes, you uh, will be. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I've been doing that and that's been it, but now I've been writing. I have a few little side projects that I've been working on. Um, and so this is honestly, this couldn't have came at a better time because there were so many things that I needed to work on that I was kind of putting off. And mm-hmm. I'm just trying to find a positive in a situation that I have no excuse but to work on these things. Um, it's, it's really fun because I told myself I was going to take a year to work on a very specific um, project. And... I remember I had the idea of working for a year on that specific project. This is before my car wreck. This is before the 34 and 34 was going on. And I was like, damn, I don't have time to work on this because I'm doing this stuff. Well, I got a lot of time on my hands now to work. You know? yeah. So I've been writing. I've been, um, I'm going to start touching on some topics that I've been trying to, um, I've been trying to figure out uh, how to talk more and more about my work history, my work life, because there's a lot of funniness there working with kids. You know, I work with kids for over a decade, and mm-hmm. I've only scratched the surface and the hilarity that ensued me working with those kids. And so I'm going to start doing that a lot more. Um, I'm also going to maybe cap, and this is where they cap, but there are some topics I'm going to slowly try to move away from uh, just because. I don't know. I feel like it's time. Like I'm still going to tell those jokes because they're good jokes, but I want to start writing in another direction. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really fun for me right now is um, thinking I'm going to do something to immortalize that. I'm winking, winking. Something to immortalize that topic and then move on from it, you know? So that'll be something that's coming up in the future. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Me being, uh, me being coy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're going to start winding down. Is there anything that you want to promote uh, that we haven't brought up? I'll give you a chance to promote officially in a little bit, but is there anything we haven't talked about that you would like to make sure people hear about? Mm, what got you into comedy? Well, for me, it was divorce. Uh, well, I mean, it was, yeah. So, and then I was... I think I was two years into this podcast and when I started the podcast, I had no intention of being a comic. I just uh, randomly two years, it kind of felt like lightning struck and I thought, oh, I wonder if I could write a joke and I wrote a joke and then I thought, well, if I write one, I should maybe go do the joke yeah. and so it was very random. Is you know, I I look around at at the comics around me in in Austin, and I just, you know, I cannot even begin to compare myself to them because they're just so so good. Um, so I just kind of putter along and do what I can within my particular abilities, and I think that comes with you know the age and the wisdom. That's like I know I can't compete with with others, so I'll just do what I do. And I'll be okay with it. I like the last part of being okay with it. Um, getting away from competing 
uh, that was something that took me a long time to get out uh, from under this idea that you're competing against everybody that does something that you think you do. Yeah. When in actuality, we're all on our own path. And uh, I'm trying to remember, have, I've seen you, I saw you at Sonote. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah, that was one of the first times I think I knew who you were. I look at names on uh, the sign-in sheets and I try to match faces, the names, and then yeah. eventually material and all that. So, Those were very early days. Sonote was my, were my first open mics. I believe it. <laughs> I'm just curious. I, I really love finding out what brings people to comedy. Like I think anything, honestly, not even just comedy. Um, I always like to ask people, what made you get into comedy? I think that's pretty freaking neat. Keep going, man. You're upset <laughs> before we get off. Does he, what does he think about comedy or as far as your comedy goes? Uh, he has not been allowed to listen to my comedy because I, you know, I'm not age appropriate by any stretch. So. Uh, oh well i mean he has seen all sorts of age inappropriate humor so he's he's definitely a well-rounded fan i just i'm very intimidated by him watching and hearing my stuff so yeah how how come mind me um tables have turned this is my interview (laughs) uh i don't know i think it's you know of anybody whose opinion i care about it's it's my child. So, yeah, you know, I fear that he's going to say, oh, that's the worst. I would hate to hear that. So I figure I wait long enough and then I say, but I've been doing it for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway. It's just surprising. Mine, I have a, I have, I have an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old and I've, I've performed dozens of times in front of them. And it's really interesting for me that whenever I don't think I did particularly well and they're there, uh-huh. I've either had them tell me themselves, which just happened recently in Corpus at a show, or I've had other people come and go, yo, your kids were laughing or performing or they clapped when you were done. And so it's always amazing to me when I meet other comics with kids. I was like, we all kind of come about the same thought process. What you were saying is about the same stuff I've said. You know, some of the stuff that I do, because I go clean and I can work family, or work uh, dirty as well. Uh-huh. And I'm always like, man, I don't want them to hear stuff. I was like, dude, our kids know who we are. Yeah. As much as we think that these jokes that we're making are going to be, <laughs> like, oh my God. They're like, no, nah, that's about right. Like, they make, <laughs> oh my God. But then they're just like, yep, that's on brand. That's on brand for <laughs> So, that's so cool. How old is how old is Travis? I'm just asking. Uh, thirteen. I thought so. Thirteen, fourteen. Girl, he knows. He knows. I know. I know. He knows. Um, he knows. <laughs> 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 he, he'll be surprised. Now he's like, mm, that old story. That old story, mom. He leaves parts out. He's gonna be able to fill you in on some. some uh, <laughs> nah, this is what really happened. This is a show that I would pay to watch. I would pay good money to watch comics kids talk about their parents and the things that we leave out because we're trying to play a role. And uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing stones at myself. I don't feel like I'm throwing stones at myself. <laughs> so I had a joke that I edited my joke because my son was listening. He's a prominently placed, uh, he's a figure in this joke. And because uh-huh. he was there, I watered the joke down and the joke didn't go good. Oh, yeah, I remember thinking about it. So I was like, you better tell that damn joke the way it happened. Because you ain't, all you're doing is bombing. Uh-huh. And, and, and then your son will be like, you ain't funny. And I don't like that joke. I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell this damn joke the way it really happened. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> God <laughs> Well, uh, let's start wrapping up. And let me ask you my final question. One word to describe your future. Family. Nice. From fun to family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham Presents. Simply Courtney, tell us where we can find you on social media and things you want to promote. First and foremost, I want to shout out my uh, homies at Black and Fans Podcast. Uh, 
boys Aaron Cheatham, Dick of James Garcia. Uh, those are the dudes that put me in my place and continue to put me in my place on almost a weekly basis. Uh, <laughs> then also I want to shout out my team, my uh, my my family, uh, my brothers and sisters from another uh, black and not black, sorry, single water purple. Uh, we have a show that we do every Wednesday over at the Cold Town Theater, uh, 8.30, called Can We Kick It? Uh, when we resume, which we will, I'm, I'm optimistic, I live on uh, optimism. When we resume, after all this is said and done, we'll be back there every Wednesday at 8.30, uh, Wednesday night at 8.30 over at the Cold Town Theater presenting uh, Can We Kick It? Um, you can find me online. Uh, let's see. Instagram is uh, Boogie Squat. That's B O O G I E S Q A T C H. That's Boogie Squat. So dancing fast squats. I dance a lot. Hey. And then you can find me anywhere else. You just type in simply for the S Y M P L Y C O U R T N E Y. The first name is misspelled because I'm black. <laughs> simply for the S Y M P L Y. Uh, tell people my name doesn't have eyes in it because I don't just do it for I. I do it for my wives and my kids or my wives. So there you go. Nice, nice. We hope you've enjoyed learning about how Simply got to be the comedic genius and positive force you heard today just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Wham presents Simply Courtney. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Simply. Thank you, Valerie.